Section 3 of The Art of Controversy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Art of Controversy by Arthur Schopenhauer. Stratagems. 1. The Extension. This consists in carrying your opponent's proposition beyond its natural limits, in giving it as general a signification and as wide a sense as possible so as to exaggerate it, and, on the other hand, in giving your own proposition as restricted a sense and as narrow limits as you can, because the more general a statement becomes, the more numerous are the objections to which it is open. The defence consists in an accurate statement of the point or essential question at issue. Example 1. I asserted that the English were supreme in drama, my opponent attempted to give an instance to the contrary and replied that it was a well-known fact that in music, and consequently in opera, they could do nothing at all. I repelled the attack by reminding him that music was not included in dramatic art, which covered tragedy and comedy alone. This he knew very well. What he had done was to try to generalise my proposition so that it would apply to all theatrical representations, and consequently to opera and then to music, in order to make certain of defeating me. Contrarily, we may save our proposition by reducing it within narrower limits than we had first intended, if our way of expressing it favours this expedient. Example 2. A declares that the Peace of 1814 gave back their independence to all the German towns of the Hanseatic League. B gives an instance to the contrary by reciting the fact that Danzig, which received its independence from Bonaparte, lost it by that peace. A saves himself thus, quote, I said all German towns, and Danzig was in Poland, end quote. This trick was mentioned by Aristotle in the Topica, Book 8, Chapters 11 and 12. Example 3. Lamarck, in his Philosophie Zoologique, Volume 1, page 208, states that the polyp has no feeling, because it has no nerves. It is certain, however, that it has some sort of perception, for it advances towards light by moving in an ingenious fashion from branch to branch, and seizes its prey. Hence it has been assumed that its nervous system is spread over the whole of its body in equal measure, as though it were blended with it, for it is obvious that the polyp possesses some faculty of perception without having any separate organs of sense. Since this assumption refutes Lamarck's position, he argues thus, quote, In that case, all parts of its body must be capable of every kind of feeling, and also of motion, of will, of thought. The polyp would have all the organs of the most perfect animal in every point of its body. Every point could see, smell, taste, hear, and so on. Nay, it could think, judge, and draw conclusions. Every particle of its body would be a perfect animal, and it would stand higher than man, as every part of it would possess all the faculties which man possesses, only in the whole of him. Further, there would be no reason for not extending what is true of the polyp to all monads, the most imperfect of all creatures, and ultimately to the plants, which are also alive, etc., etc. By using dialectical tricks of this kind, a writer betrays that he is secretly conscious of being in the wrong, 
because it was said that the creature's whole body is sensitive to light and is therefore possessed of nerves he makes out that its whole body is capable of thought two the homonymy this trick is to extend a proposition to something which has little or nothing in common with the matter in question but the similarity of the word then to refute it triumphantly and so claim credit for having refuted the original statement it may be noted here that synonyms are two words for the same conception homonyms two conceptions which are covered by the same word see aristotle topica book one chapter thirteen deep cutting high used at one moment of bodies at another of tones are homonyms honourable and honest are synonyms this is a trick which may be regarded as identical with the sophism ex homonemia although if the sophism is obvious it will deceive no one every light can be extinguished the intellect is a light therefore it can be extinguished here it is at once clear that there are four terms in the syllogism light being used both in a real and in a metaphorical sense but if the sophism takes a subtle form it is of course apt to mislead especially where the conceptions which are covered by the same word are related and inclined to be interchangeable it is never subtle enough to deceive if it is used intentionally and therefore cases of it must be collected from actual and individual experience it would be a very good thing if every trick could receive some short and obviously appropriate name so that when a man used this or that particular trick he could be at once reproached for it i will give two examples of the homonymy example one a quote, you were not yet initiated into the mysteries of the kantian philosophy End quote. b quote, oh if it is mysteries you're talking of I'll have nothing to do with them. End quote. Example 2. I condemned the principle involved in the word honour as a foolish one, for, according to it, a man loses his honour by receiving an insult, which he cannot wipe out unless he replies with a still greater insult, or by shedding his adversary's blood, or his own. I contended that a man's true honour cannot be outraged by what he suffers but only and alone by what he does for there is no saying what may befall any one of us my opponent immediately attacked the reason i had given and triumphantly proved to me that when a tradesman was falsely accused of misrepresentation dishonesty or neglect in his business it was an attack upon his honour which in this case was outraged solely by what he suffered and that he could only retrieve it by punishing his aggressor and making him retract. Here, by a homonymy, he was foisting civic honour, which is otherwise called good name, and which may be outraged by libel and slander, onto the conception of knightly honour, also called point d'honneur, which may be outraged by an insult. And since an attack on the former cannot be disregarded but must be repelled by public disproof, so with the same justification an attack on the latter must not be disregarded either but it must be defeated by still greater insult and a duel here we have a confusion of two essentially different things through the homonymy in the word honour and a consequent alteration of the point in dispute three another trick is to take a proposition which is laid down relatively and in reference to some particular matter 
as though it were uttered with a general or absolute application, or at least to take it in some quite different sense, and then refute it. Aristotle's example is as follows. A moor is black, but in regard to his teeth he is white, therefore he is black and not black at the same moment. This is an obvious sophism which will deceive no one. Let us contrast it with one drawn from actual experience. In talking of philosophy, I admitted that my system upheld the quietists, and commended them. Shortly afterwards, the conversation turned upon Hegel, and I maintained that his writings were mostly nonsense, or, at any rate, that there were many passages in them where the author wrote the words, and it was left to the reader to find a meaning for them. My opponent did not attempt to refute this assertion ad rem, but contented himself by advancing the argumentum ad hominem, and telling me that I had just been praising the quietists, and that they had written a good deal of nonsense too. This I admitted, but by way of correcting him, I said that I had praised the quietists, not as philosophers and writers, that is to say, for their achievements in the sphere of theory, but only as men, and for their conduct in mere matters of practice, and that in Hegel's case we were talking of theories. In this way I parried the attack. The first three tricks are of a kindred character. They have this in common, that something different is attacked from that which was asserted. It would therefore be an ignoratio alenci to allow oneself to be disposed of in such a manner. For in all the examples I have given, what the opponent says is true, but it stands in apparent, and not in real, contradiction with the thesis. All that the man whom he is attacking has to do is to deny the validity of his syllogism, to deny, namely, the conclusion which he draws, that because his proposition is true, ours is false. In this way his refutation is itself directly refuted by a denial of his conclusion, per negationem consequentiae. Another trick is to refuse to admit true premises because of a foreseen conclusion. There are two ways of defeating it, incorporated in the next two sections. 4. If you want to draw a conclusion, you must not let it be foreseen, but you must get the premises admitted one by one, unobserved, mingling them here and there in your talk. Otherwise your opponent will attempt all sorts of chicanery, or, if it is doubtful whether your opponent will admit them, you must advance the premises of these premises, that is to say, you must draw up pro-syllogisms, and get the premises of several of them admitted in no definite order. In this way, you conceal your game until you have obtained all the admissions that are necessary, and so reach your goal by making a circuit. These rules are given by Aristotle in his Topica, Book 8, Chapter 1. It is a trick which needs no illustration. 5. To prove the truth of a proposition, you may also employ previous propositions that are not true, should your opponent refuse to admit the true ones, either because he fails to perceive their truth, or because he sees that the thesis immediately follows from them. In that case, the plan is to take the propositions which are false in themselves, but true for your opponent, and argue from the way in which he thinks, that is to say, ex concessis, for a true conclusion may follow from false premises, but not vice versa. 
In the same fashion, your opponent's false propositions may be refuted by other false propositions, which he, however, takes to be true. For it is with him that you have to do, and you must use the thoughts that he uses. For instance, if he is a member of some sect to which you do not belong, you may employ the declared opinions of this sect against him as principles. Footnote. Aristotle, Topica Book 8, Chapter 2. End footnote. 6. Another plan is to beg the question in disguise by postulating what has to be proved. Either, one, under another name, for instance, good repute, instead of honour, virtue, instead of virginity, etc., or by using such convertible terms as red-blooded animals and vertebrates, or, two, by making a general assumption covering the particular point in dispute, for instance, maintaining the uncertainty of medicine by postulating the uncertainty of all human knowledge. 3. If, vice versa, two things follow one from the other, and one is to be proved, you may postulate the other. 4. If a general proposition is to be proved, you may get your opponent to admit every one of the particulars. This is the converse of the second. Footnote. Aristotle, Topica, Book 8, Chapter 11. The last chapter of this work contains some good rules for the practice of dialectics. End footnote. 7. Should the disputation be conducted on somewhat strict and formal lines, and there be a desire to arrive at a very clear understanding, he who states the proposition, and wants to prove it, may proceed against his opponent by question, in order to show the truth of the statement from his admissions. The erotomatic, or Socratic, method was especially in use amongst the ancients, and this and some of the tricks following later are akin to it. Footnote. They are all a free version of chapter 15 of Aristotle's De Sophistici Elentius. End footnote. The plan is to ask a great many wide-reaching questions at once, so as to hide what you want to get admitted, and, on the other hand, quickly propound the argument resulting from the admissions, for those who are slow of understanding cannot follow accurately, and do not notice any mistakes or gaps there may be in the demonstration. 8. This trick consists in making your opponent angry, for when he is angry he is incapable of judging aright, and perceiving where his advantage lies. You can make him angry by doing him repeated injustice or practising some kind of chicanery and being generally insolent. 9. Or you may put questions in an order different from that which the conclusion to be drawn from them requires and transpose them so as not to let him know at what you are aiming. He can then take no precautions. You may also use his answers for different or even opposite conclusions according to their character. This is akin to the trick of masking your procedure. 10. If you observe that your opponent designedly returns a negative answer to the questions which, for the sake of your proposition, you want him to answer in the affirmative, you must ask the converse of the proposition, as though it were that which you are anxious to see affirmed, or, at any rate, you may give him his choice of both, so that he may not perceive which of them you are asking him to affirm. End of section 3